tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. Episode 7 of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. My name is Michael Bradley, one half of your hosting duo, and with me, as he is every episode, the other half of your hosting duo, Sean Engel. Yes, together we make half and half, so there you go. Coffee. Mm, Hold on. (laughs) Caffeine is essential for podcasting. Yes, it is. (laughs) This episode... I think we've got a good episode ahead for you folks. Um, If you've maybe been disappointed by the issues covered in the past few episodes, where they haven't played as heavily into the overall mythology as those first couple world-building issues, this might be the episode for you, because this time out, we're going to be looking at Nightwing number one. Now, Nightwing is a group that has been at least referenced in, I think, each issue we've covered so far. Uh, They're a shady cabal at the heart of the Tangent Universe, and we've seen them pulling a lot of strings and stalking about behind the scenes and just generally causing problems for our more heroic characters. So I know I'm excited to get a look at a book that's just focused on them. Exactly. I am as well. Uh, We really get a definition of what the Nightwing organization is and how mm-hmm. they relate to the bigger picture of the Tangent Universe. This is a really, if you enjoy the issues like Metal Man and the Atom, this one is really going to be for you because there's a lot of world building. There's a lot of character development. Uh, it really expands the universe, and I I really enjoyed it. You know, the... The Sea Devil and the Joker issues, especially the Joker issue, that was fun, but that didn't really play into the overall story of this universe. This one gets us back to that beginning point that we had uh, with uh, Metal Men and uh, the Atom of uh, of universe building here. Right. And as we'll see, it's also maybe not a direct follow-up to Metal Men, which we looked at back in Episode 2, but it is a book that has very strong ties back to that one. In fact, uh, a bunch of the characters in there uh, definitely have uh, ties to Metal Men. So, yes. getting into that. Yeah. So, do you, are you ready to go ahead and uh, do we want to jump in, Mother? Yeah. I th- oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, we, we've got a few emails, but I think we're going to be a bit more heavy on discussing the book. So, we'll probably hold off those emails for a while. But I think we do want to comment that uh, this episode will probably going, be going up closest to when Dragon Con just happened. And a couple of our good podcasting friends, uh, Michael Britt, Michael Bailey and Shag Matthews, were very, very nice in mentioning us uh, as they, 
they said that they listened to the shows while they're at Dragon Con. Mm-hmm. They were uh, very polite in promoting the shows, and so we wanted to both thank both uh, Michael Bailey and Shag, the Irredeemable yes. Shag, for uh, just uh, going out and promoting the show and you know talking us up. That that's really great, guys. Shag even uh, posted a photo from Dragon Con where he had seen a uh, a sign in the hotel lobby that it said Tangent and had an arrow pointing to something, and he said he followed the arrow expecting to see Sean and I talking about comics and was disappointed to see that we weren't there. Sadly, we couldn't make it to Dragon Con, but maybe in the future. Who knows? But yeah, we'll be getting the emails next uh, next time. So we've got a couple from Gene Hendricks and we've got one from Matthew Epps. We'll be getting to all of those next time. But And keep writing in because we do really like hearing from you. Oh yeah, so uh, yeah, we've got an incredible response and we really appreciate you know, on Facebook and all that, we we really appreciate you guys. You know, Definitely. all the all the all the lauding you've been doing. So thank you. It it makes it makes doing this just all the more fun. But if you are ready, we'll go ahead and uh, jump into the issue because it's a it's a pretty dense one. It's Nightwing number one. I am ready. All right, this one was cover dated December nineteen ninety seven and released on October first, like all the rest of the books. The cover price was two ninety five US and four twenty five Canada, and the title was "The Most Dangerous Man in the World." The writer was John Ostrander. The artist was Jan Tersema. Colorist Gloria Vasquez. Separations Heroic Age. Lettering was by Comic Crafts David Lampier. Assistant editor was Frank Berrios. The associate editor was Dana Curtin. The editor was Eddie Briganza, and Tangent was based on concepts by Dan Jerkins. In a trash-strewn alley in New York City, a terrified young girl flees from a couple of firestorm troopers, the enforcement arm of the United States government. The frightened female leaps over a high fence in an attempt to escape the pursuing cops, but a blast from their sidearm takes down not only the fence, but the female as well. Cowering from the cops, the girl identifies herself as Dickie Foray, I don't know how to pronounce that, and ask why they're chasing her. The troopers say that they don't need to explain themselves and demand she hand over the item that she stole. But before they can go all police brutality on her, an ominous figure steps from the shadows and tells the Fist to stand down. Recognizing the figure as Carl Walters, a.k.a. Gravedigger, a rogue Nightwing agent, the Fist levels his gun at him and prepares to take him in. But with the utterance of the word Shazam, Gravedigger transforms the frightened girl into the feral beast Wildcat, who rips into the three troopers. Finishing the deed, Nikki turns to Gravedigger, but before she can finish him off as well, he utters the word again, changing her back. As Nikki recovers from her transformation, Gravedigger recovers the item that she had stolen, secret Nightwing Pascos. Cut to Washington, D.C., where Vincent Lord, the techno-sorcerer known as Hex, is having his own run-in with some Nightwing agents. With the help of his Skeets-like familiar, Nightshade, Hex zaps the men in black with some magic to knock them out, but the Nightwing talismans that they are wearing protect them from the blast. However, they can't protect them from Hex's magic life field pistols, which blast the MIBs into unconsciousness. Seriously, it's the 90s. As Hex tr- prepares to make himself scarce, Gravedigger calls him on his ultra-cool sunglasses phone and tells him to meet him at the safe house with Black Orchid as well. Unfortunately, Black Orchid, a.k.a. Arlette St. George, is busy dealing with a group of Nightwing agents who've tried to trap the tantric magic user. Orchid is forced to use some magic to restrain the agents, but before she can drain the energies from all of them, Gravedigger overrides her communicator and demands she meet up with the rest of the team. 
Orchid complies, but not before sapping one of her attacking foes. Cut once again to Brand Laboratories Warehouse outside Washington, D.C., where Hex, Orchid, Gravedigger, and Wildcat meet up to discuss their plans of taking down the Shadow Organization. And speaking of Nightwing, we see them surveying their wall of monitors and discussing recent goings-on of the superhero community. Director Marcus Bohr is less concerned with the antics of likes of the Joker and the defiance of the former Nightwing agent Carl Walters. But all secretive monitoring has to be put on hold as he's summoned to the chamber of Cryostheophilius, a soul-sucking crone named the Creeper. Entering the chamber, Moore tells Theophilius the uh, actions of the rogue, rogue agents and their intention of revealing the existence of Nightwing to President Schwartz. The Creeper rants that the Rhodes shall not, shall not succeed, and Moore asks if he should have the President killed if they are revealed. Cryos admires Moore's willingness to kill his former metalman comrade, but since he's in possession of Moore's soul, Moore is forced to bow to the sorcerer's will. Saying that he'll take care of the president personally, the Creeper tells Moore to leave his well of souls. Outside of the White House, Walters and company prepare to skirt the magic defenses around the building and infiltrate the president's bedroom. Hex disables the eyes of Naboo guarding the structure, while Black Orchid uses an illusion to disguise herself as the president's wife. Staking into the Oval Office, Orchid reaches the sleeping Schwartz and enters his dreams, revealing the history of Nightwing to him. Orchid relates to Schwartz that during the Kennedy administration, Nightwing was created as a super spy organization outside the purvey of any government auspice. After Kennedy was killed, the organization went silent, running things like the Firestorm Troopers from the Shadows. Orchid also reveals that Marcus Moore has been running Nightwing for some time, and Schwartz says that that's impossible since he saw his colleague die. Orchid said that he did, and his body was kept alive through the use of black magic channeled through the Nightwing necromancers like Theophilius. She also explains that a centuries-long war between Nightwing and Meridian, the American and European magic groups descended from the teaching of Vandal Savage. This is all really dense, isn't it? <sighs> Anyhow, all of this dreamscape explanation is rendered moot as Kryos sleep sneaks into the bedroom and stabs Orchid in the back. But before he can suck out her soul, she magically relieves it from her body and warns and goes to warn Gravedigger about the others. With her cover blown, the team springs into action, with Wildcat taking out Cryos and Gravedigger and Hex using Cryos' soul-sucking device on himself. Crisis averted, the team portal away with Orchid's body in tow. Cut to Nightwing headquarters, where Director Moore and Francis Powell discuss the loss of the Creeper and the outing of Nightwing. Moore mentions that the president just had a dream, nothing more, nothing less, and Nightwing is better off without the Creeper in its employ. Entering Theophilius' chamber to take care of business, Moore meets with Gravedigger, who was the mole who was secretly working for Nightwing. Walters tells Moore that the mission was a success, and that Hex, Orchid, and Far have no idea of his duplicity. In fact, Walter wonders what Dark Circle, the magic arm of Nightwing, would do if they knew that Marcus Moore was leading a revolt against the organization that he's heading. As Moore breathes in the trapped soul of the Creeper, he enigmatically grins and tells the former middleman to trust him. Wow. Even though it, it is a very dense issue and there's a lot of you know, background. There's there's a synopsis worth of information just in those two pages where they're given the background. It's really good to be back in the more 
universe mythology based side of this series and and beyond that this was just fun i mean mm-hmm. not, not in the same way that the joker was fun but more of an action thriller kind of fun yeah, this definitely has a more spy thriller type mm-hmm. feel. Uh, it's not quite a team book that we'll see in our next issue that we're going to be covering, Secret Six. But it's got that sort of, I don't know, man from uncle type feel. Uh, sort of, you know, spy organization with different characters working in for the same goal. Um, I do have, not really complain about it because I like Jander Semmer's art. But it is very 90s. I mean... Yeah. Uh, it's not quite Liefeldian 90s, but there exactly. are a lot of the stereotypical 90s traits here with the, you know the big guns and exaggerated proportions and such. Mm-hmm. There, there, there are some the, – the, the females are far too skinny and the males are far too bulky. Yeah. Uh, the hair is just ridiculous at times and some of the characters look just – ungodly out of proportion but i think you hit it right it it has that 90s life fieldian feel but not that sort of life fieldian stank if that makes any sense <laughs> yeah when you get to the the uh the segment that introduces black orchid her uh her spine is pretty much made out of a rope and mm-hmm. <laughs> her her uh her legs and her uh her breasts are constantly changing sizes and it's, yeah, yeah, and well, and we'll also get to uh, to Wildcat, and there's an image of there that uh, I'll have to mention. That's uh, just I don't know what's going on with her <laughs> with her physiology, with her anatomy. It's just insane. Uh, uh, but but on a writing note, I think that Ostrander had a big job with this book. He was introducing a lot of characters and ideas, and catching you up with other characters, plus exploring a darker side of the Tangent Universe that we haven't really seen beyond a little bit in Green Lantern. But, you know, I think he did a great job with it. Oh, I agree. Uh, this was this was really a difficult task to not only uh, explain the Nightwing organization, but tie it into the universe and also give it that sort of, you know, bring into the universe more of the dark magic feel. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think Ostrander did a really good job, and I've got to assume there was probably a good bit of uh, collusion between him and Jerkins, with uh, Jerkins essentially setting out the idea for this and Ostrander having to really build on it, and he did a great job with it. Yeah. The uh, the Black Ops meets Black Arts, I think, is a really fun blend when they treat it like this. and <laughs> This is a book I can see doing really well as an ongoing Oh, yeah. Well, that, it, again, like we've said before in this series, a lot of the stuff would, you know, if it could be expanded on more than just these single books, it, I think it, they would be a worthwhile effort. But sometimes you wonder, you know, getting this quality of uh, writers behind them to do it all the time might be kind of a difficult task nowadays. Oh, yeah. Well, definitely but, in today's comic market. Yeah. But, uh, well, I think we're going to take a break and then we'll come back for the page by page. Sounds good. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too we're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? 
to all of us. I can fly! We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power! I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth, and half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You earthlings can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak. Blind or hulk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him until it has been drained of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Cast. FFCast.Libsyn. Com. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com going to start talking about our more in-depth comments about Nightwing number one. Um, starting with the cover, I, it, it's a bit odd and it doesn't really tell you much about the book. I mean, we see most of the characters, but it's kind of hard to tell how it ties to Nightwing or, or what kind of book this is going to be. Yeah, I, I'm kind of wondering whether this is actually supposed to be Nightwing or X-Force because... <laughs> <laughs> Again, you know, is that Gambit on the cover holding yeah. that weird snake? you know laser thing fish and it, yeah the fish gun <laughs> and that's Psylocke in the background doing that uh, karate kick mm-hmm. I'm pretty certain it is and uh oh who's the one from X-Factor who was the Wolfsbane I'm trying to remember J. David Weeder would know this yeah. if he listened to that you, you got he, me I'm a DC okay. guy so. okay no problem but we have Cable's <laughs> weird uncle <laughs> not cable uh, um, bishop. bishop yeah, yeah. bishop's weird again he, bishop just got a, a haircut and got rid of the dread so <laughs> there you go yeah i mean it's a again i i joke about dersema's art it's good it's really clean but it's it's very much that sort of stylized 90s right. look and i think you know at this point in time dc was sort of moving away from the image style you know trying to capture that image style but you know dersema might have just been I'm not certain if this is some of her earlier stuff. I've got to assume it is, but uh, it's it, again, it's not bad. But it's just if you don't like '90s stuff, this might be one of those books that's not all that appealing to you. Yeah, it's just not what 
speaking for myself, that's not what I look for in comic book art. Mm-hmm. Um, moving into the book, page one, you know, we get more little, uh, you know, Easter egg seeds in here. We get Buana Beast cookies. I thought that was kind of neat. <laughs> Whatever you, know. you Buana. Because <laughs> who's who's ever going to make a Buana Beast comic? No one, unfortunately. <laughs> um, Nikki is very. I guess, you know, it's not as obnoxious as, you know, say like a black canary uniform. I mean, it's a, a tight, you know, jumpsuit. It's not a mini, mini dress because I think she's got actual pants, but. It pretty you know, much the, is black canary's costume. Yeah. No, well, yeah, they just think it is the skin tight uniform. Mm-hmm. The, I don't know, the fishnets and boots. boots. Yeah, that's kind of that. But, you know, she, she does have the very 90s, you know, sort of almost well uh, more like 80s flock of seagulls type hair that covers half of her face so uh, it it is what it is yeah my only note for page two is the uh the boom tube guns Mm -hmm. yeah i noticed that i thought that was kind of a nice homage to the to the fourth world you know having their uh heavy firepower being Mm -hmm. named after the uh transport tubes to apocalypse and the new genesis so that's awesome and i also wondered if it wasn't a a wink to army of darkness <laughs> the boomstick. Oh, that'd be awesome as well. I'm trying. No, it had to. Yeah, Army of Darkness had to have been out by this time. So yeah, yeah. Because I, I remember seeing that when I I was dating. I think when I was dating my wife. So that'd be the early nineties. So I think yeah, that was ninety two. I think. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, ninety two. So yeah, it had been out for about five years at this point. Okay. Well, that that's always good. Anytime we can get a good you know Army of Darkness reference in this in the show, I'm good for that. Um. The look of the firestorm troopers on page three, you know, I, I I like them. It's kind of it's kind of a mix between sort of Judge Dredd and one of the characters from Battle of the Planets or Gotcha Men. He's got that yeah. sort of that bird beak type helmet. I I like that. And um, I think I would have liked to have seen something a little more realistic because the the police officers and members of the military we've seen have been more real world based but you know that doesn't mean it's a bad design no it's it is again I think it's just the sort of stylized thing and I don't know if Dursema because I think this is the first time we've seen if I recall the Firestorm operatives or uh, the Firestorm so So maybe this was something that Dursema was uh, able to design herself and it just carried on through the next couple of books um, yeah, in the, in the back matter, there's a sketch that she did of the Nightwing. Okay, the Nightwing, the Firestorm fu- Troopers. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a as a Superman fan, I, I need to note that the Pentagon shape emblazoned on their chest is just like Superman's S, yep. minus the S in the center. Yep, that's exactly that was the thing I was going to comment on okay. in page four. That yeah, that that definitely looks like you know you take the S off there. That is the. Uh, Superman shield on her chest, so that's that's a nice catch there. And plus, we'll also get uh, speaking of pentagons, we'll get multiple references in here to pentagons and pentangles as the on page three, the little pin that uh, Gravedigger has on his collar is uh, the Dark Star symbol. So I'm wondering. I, I know the Dark Stars were enemies uh, or were considered enemies of oh, Captain. Yeah, I thought it was Captain, Captain Boomerang. Carrot. Captain Boomerang. Yeah, <laughs> Captain Boomerang in the in the uh, Green Lantern issue. So I'm wondering, you know, how 
if this is uh, a way to show that Gravedigger is working for Meridian and the Dark Stars are together, I don't know. It's not specifically said, but maybe that's the correlation there. Was Captain? Oh, he was tied to, to Nightwing though, because they're they're the ones that gave him. Oh yeah, it gave him the the aging power. Because right. remember that scene where the the sort of Doctor Mengele with the creepy scalpel was working on him. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it took me a little while to realize that they weren't calling these guys fists, but it's an acronym. Mm-hmm. Firestorm Troopers, F I S T. Yeah, it it makes sense. You know, Firestorm Troopers is kind of a word too. So it's kind of a mouthful. So. Yeah. Calling them fists is just an easier, you know, and and it also works as them being sort of the uh, law enforcement agency, the strong arm agency. So it it works in both a you know compression, uh, you know, an acronym sense, and uh, or an acronym sense as well as a you know uh, sort of short figurative sense. Yeah. yeah. Page five. Despite our our comments earlier about the art, I, I like this page quite a bit. You know, it it's got. It's in many ways a, a good kind of '90s, mm-hmm. because yeah, the, it's, the '90s did have their good points. Mm, it is very, you know, it, it's a it's a good splash. It's it's a it's meant to invoke a lot of terror, especially if you see that sort of werewolf type character just appear behind you. And it's it, it's well done. The only negative thing I could have to say is the way it looks like her body is drawn, I don't see a connection from her upper torso to her legs down there at the bottom. It's, mm. it could just be in shadow, but it's, yeah, it is, it is that sort of good nineties art, you know, that stuff that is stylized and very flashy, but not painful to look at. Right. <laughs> However, that, that kind of changes once we move on to page six. Oh, yeah. And we get that side shot of uh, Wildcat. <laughs> and just what the heck has happened to her neck? I, I, I don't know. It, it looks like uh, – I know uh, giraffes. Giraffes have long necks. Even their necks don't arc down like a sort of wet noodle. <laughs> it's just uh, – I understand it's a stylized look. And and again, her torso looks far too thin to have any inter- internal organs mm-hmm. organs in there. So it's just, and she's uh, almost doing the broke back pose. Yeah, even, she's even though she's a uh, mutant <laughs> werecat at this point. Yeah, she's she yeah she's doing the sort of uh, you know Ed Benes you know boobs and butts at the same time pose. Yeah. So uh, that that that's perhaps the thing that the piece of art in here that I have to just I can't abide by. It's, <laughs> When you made that comment earlier, I thought you were talking about another uh, another piece of art that we'll get to. I guess it's later in the book. I'll point okay. it out when we get there. We don't have to no talk problem. about it, but but anyway. Um, uh, page seven. Yeah, page seven. I like that it takes exactly two lines of dialogue to explain what happened to Gravedigger's eye, and then they move on. Mm-hmm. I think Ostrander does a, a really great job of introducing these characters in the first half of the book. Uh, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but in what amounts to about 18 pages, he gives solid introductions to four different characters who all are pretty unlike anything we've seen in other books and sets up the story for this book. Mm-hmm. So whether or not you 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 like the concepts or stories that they're telling, I think it's hard not to at least respect how tightly these are written. Yeah, the, a lot of credit goes to Ostrander for not only, you know, 
giving these characters, you know, an interesting backstory, but fitting them in with the entirety of the tangent universe and doing it in a really engaging and very clever story. I agree. In those two panels, you know, him saying, you know, I let you come close, think I'll I think I might again. It explains, you know, what happened between Wildcat and Gravedigger right. without having to go into a big long flashback explanation speed about it. So that again, credit to Austrian. Page eight. I, I feel bad how, for I feel bad for Nikki Wildcat because she's she's asking him if she did good, and you, you just get the sense that despite her you know ferocious counterpart, there's a lot of vulnerability there that could be explored. Even even though it's not critical to this story, but I'd be interested in, in knowing more about her in other mm-hmm. stories. Yeah, she does seem like she's. Uh perhaps the most inexperienced and probably the most youthful of this group Mm -hmm. Uh, later on in the book, you know, we'll get to see that, you know, she's kind of, you know, frightened. I mean, obviously she's a person who has, you know, enhanced abilities or is strong. We see her leaping over a, you know, uh, eight foot high chain link fence. So she's not powerless, but she's just kind of youthful and inexperienced and unaccustomed to this. So, The, the idea that this sort of meek, you know, female character who turns into this feral raging beast at the uh, at the utterance of one word is kind of an interesting character that, you know, would would easily be uh, something that I'd enjoy getting expanded upon. Mm-hmm. My next notes on page nine, where we get the introduction of Hex of, uh, you know, Vincent Lord. <laughs> and again, when I first saw him, I thought, you know. Holy cow, Gambit's in this book. But, yeah. you know, it's it's not Gambit. I, I guess he's also sort of supposed to be sort of a John Constantine-type character. Yeah, there's a lot of Constantine there. You know, uh, which which works with the sort of magic user-type character. But, you know, again, it's good 90s art. It's it's enjoyable 90s art. If you're into 90s art, this will this will hit you in your, in your sweet spot, I think. Yeah. I was going to ask if you thought... In- I was going to ask, and then you made a comment about it in your synopsis, but if you thought Hex and his little robot companion was a sly nod to Booster Golden Skeets, but... I kind of did, yeah. I saw, I saw, you know, sort of the snarkiness. You could kind of take a little bit of Booster Gold there. They don't really go into uh, his little companion Nightshade all that much, except that uh, Hex tends to mention that Nightshade is a she, mm-hmm. so we don't know whether this is some sort of, you know... Uh, transformed AI or something but you know it, it's another one of those things that is seeded here by Ostrander and that can easily again get picked up with and run if this were ever to go to series yep. you know, which sadly it hasn't but yeah page 10 after seeing the the Nightwing goons here I'm pretty sure the men in black that we saw in the Sea Devils book were meant to be Nightwing agents as well mm-hmm. uh, they only appeared in the one panel there but if you look back at that panel it appears the agent facing the camera, so to speak, has the same insignia on his collar that these guys do. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that the that the Nightwing characters would be sort of not omnipresent, but much like the Men in Black, just sort of hanging around in the background mm-hmm. in places that they expect, you know, paranormal or supernatural things to go on. Um, my comment on page ten is, uh, you know, did Hex basically? You know, because is he the offspring of like Mick Jagger and Steven Tyler? Because 
<laughs> My God, he's got some lips. Panel four? Yes. Mm-hmm. That is just... Uh, eh. Again, again, it's good 90s art, but man, wacky. Wackiness. Yeah. Uh, he, he's basically, and this is really going on to page 11, he, he's basically your 90s hotshot bad boy action hero stereotype. Mm-hmm. Yeah, n- n- nothing but. And this does lead to that that third panel there where it's nothing but him and his two and possibly three, if you count the one that's you know sitting in his crotch, guns pointing <laughs> oh, at us. Oh. Sorry. Well, I mean, he's got there, he's splayed out. He's got yeah. the two oversized, like, fielding guns pointing at these guys. It's just... It's something that in the hands of a lesser artist, I think, would be cringeworthy. But here it's just kind of – it's kind of goofy fun. And credit to Ostrander as well, again, for writing it in a sort of, you know, obviously over-the-top way. Yeah. Maybe it's forced perspective. Oh, wait. His hands are the right size. It's just <laughs> the guns that are large. Yes, the guns are enormous. It's not that they're pointing <laughs> out at us. His hands – oh, it's just – <laughs> but yeah, it's it's help fun. me remember when we get closer to this episode going live and I will post this panel on the Facebook oh, page so people can actually see it if they don't have uh, the issue. Yes, this will this will be something that people will definitely need to see because Yeah, and we ought to hashtag it Rob Liefeld. <laughs> uh, uh, also on this page, there's a there's a sign on the wall. He's in a motel, a seedy crappy motel and there's a sign on the wall that has rules and regulations and it reads no spitting no guests no guns which are all reasonable rules Mm -hmm. i think then we have no bleeding which is weird but okay and then we have no cloning (laughs) because you know that's what goes on in seedy motels you know you you have your experimental cloning experiments you know just going on in you you know the bathtub you you got your spitting your guns oh and that (laughs) guy over there is making a clone of himself never mind him (laughs) well you know they've got to have standards i guess yeah (laughs) um let's see where am i do i have notes for page 12 i don't have any notes until page 13 yeah i go ahead with that i didn't have too much to say about black orchids introduction so yeah um I keep harping on the art style being much of the 90s. Uh, and again, unlike uh, a Liefeld or McFarland, there's a lot more substance here. Um, panel four here uh, is a good example of that. Now, granted... I'm sorry, these, you're, oh, you're on page 13? Yeah, I'm page okay. 13. Uh, her her body portion proportions are incredibly off. She obviously has no internal organs because her waist is about the size of an egg of like a spig- of a pasta noodle. Right. Uh, but that kick, although ridiculous, is really engaging. And the guy who's on the sofa ducking, I don't know how he can get his body <laughs> in that proportion. He's 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 the tangent universe version of Spider Man. I was gonna say he's got the McFarlane Spider Man moves going down, but uh, it's all. As much as I harp on it being of the 90s and sort of complaining about it, it's really engaging. And it actually – it's a, it's an interesting flow of it. And it's – unlike what I've seen of, of Liefeld stuff, it 
it makes me want to look at it. It doesn't make me want to just throw the comic away. So yeah, I, I, I don't know what Drisema is doing right, but there is definitely something about it that I enjoy more than the McFarland stuff. And I think the writing helps with that too, because the writing keeps you interested. Where with a lot of the '90s image cliche stuff that we that we all make fun of, you know, the writing was pretty bad too. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and that that was probably also because both McFarland and Lightfield were were writing some of that stuff. So not only was their over the top art allowed to show on the page, their over the top dialogue was there to mess it up as well. Right. Um, then on pages 14 and 15, the only notes I've got there is uh, she has to, you know, uh, Black Orchid has uses tantric magic, and I can only assume that tantric magic has something to do with your boobs <laughs> because that's all she's doing. You know, as soon as she's ready to use her tantric magic, she decides to unzip her cat suit down to like navel level, <laughs> and then and then of course it's able to stay on despite the fact that. Well, yeah. Double-sided tape. I guess so. Or, you know, it's it's Catwoman physics. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't have too much to say about the, the Black Orchid introduction here. I mean, she seems like an interesting enough character. Um, I, I guess at a certain point, these, these character introductions do start to feel a little routine in setting up all the players. But I don't want that to be construed as taking away from what Ostrander did here. Because I, I think he did a lot in just these 18 pages. Oh, yeah. Um, 16 and 17, where we see uh, Hex and Orchid meet up, we get that there might have been some sort of relationship between them, or there might be a sort mm-hmm. of relationship for them. And we also get that there might be a relationship between him and his little Skeets-type thing, uh, uh, Nightshade. Yeah. Uh, even though in the back matter, I, I read that, Ostrander said that Nightshade is just supposed to be an AI. So I don't know why it would be jealous, but there you go. It's the 90s. I uh, I have no comments. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, page 18, I like the, the blended imagery of the Pentagon with the pentagram. It, it just reeks of conspiracies and Illuminati and, and dark magic and comic book awesomeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the things I really – I was like, holy cow, the Pentagon – Underneath it, it's it's a pentagram symbol. Holy cow! That's that's enough conspiracy theory to fill you know a a dozen David Van Eyke you know <laughs> Art Bell stories for like months. But yeah, I, I I enjoy that. I think that's that's a really great and that's something you can only do in comic books. Yeah, especially like this, giving that sort of conspiracy theory that your government official, your government organizations are actually these shadowy things. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Uh, page 19, we see this bank of monitor, monitors, and we've got a sea devil, the first Adam, the Joker, Captain Comet, but I don't know who the guy in the lower left is supposed to be, and the, the guy in the upper right above the Joker. He's kind of hidden by uh, the speech balloons. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't think – I went ahead and read through to the Doom Patrol. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I'm wondering if it, since I'm seeing bubbles in there, I'm wondering if it might be something to do with Dr. Aquaticus or Dr. Aquatus hmm. that will meet in the Secret Six, but I'm not certain. Could but be. I do I do like how they uh, they sort of reference all the things that have come 
before and will be coming after this. They they talk about the Joker. They talk about the Doom Patrol, which we'll be getting to later. Uh, talk about Captain Comic coming mm-hmm. back from the dead. So it's all a nice. It, it kind of again. This is a more. This is more of a story that's world building and you know all encompassing for the uh, for the tangent universe. So I like that. Yeah. Something on this page, in one way or another, connects to literally every other book we've covered. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you uh, noticed this, the final panel, uh, uh, panel four on this page. If you look as the assistant who was talking to uh, Director Moore is walking out of the uh, room, her shadow that mm-hmm. hits the wall, that is an image of the Joker. Yes. I, I like that. So you've got to assume that this character, much like the character of the Joker who had different guises throughout all of that – is also infiltrating Nightwing. So I like that. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know whether this is going to be expanded upon later, but uh, you know, as far as I can tell, I don't know whether, I don't know whether this person is going to be revealed to be the Joker in later books, but uh, I think that's a really clever little Easter egg seeding that there. Yeah, and, and I think it speaks a lot to her abilities or, or wiles or whatever you want to call it, that she can penetrate the organization that has their fingers in everything. And it's so secret that they've bugged the Oval Office, and the president doesn't even know they exist. Mm-hmm. Well, and she's she's been, you know, in this case, she's been with the uh, president as Lori Lamaris, yeah. and she's been with Nightwing as well. So that, you know, that just makes the Joker all the more of sort of a Batman analog that, you know, she's able to get, you know, wherever she needs to be to try and, you know, right the wrongs of this world. Mm-hmm. So this is great. That's kind of an ironic twist, too, that the Joker is the Batman. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it, it, it makes sense. You know, it's your turning thing on its on things on its head. Yeah. So I, I like it. Um, Pages 20 to 22. <laughs> this introduction to Cryos Theophilus or Theophilius is, is super creepy. Mm-hmm. He's he's in this underground catacombs and it's damp and lit by candles and he's he's sucking souls from globes. It's just super creepy. Oh yeah, and and it's it's a really good way of introducing the idea of black magic or necromancy into the book. And yeah, he is a disturbing disturbing character. He's he's just completely emaciated and thin. And I think. He has sort of the extended neck thing on that first image that we see him in the hologram. He's mm-hmm. got that sort of thing. But I think it works to make him look more eerie and more skeletal and emaciated. So, right. yeah, it's it's a it's a great integration of the sort of horror vibe into this. He's also got a kind of Angus Scrim from uh, Phantasm type look in his face. <laughs> a of little the, bit. Uh, so I, I like it. He's got a great name too, despite the fact that it's very hard to pronounce. Mm-hmm. Theophilius. I, I'm certain, you know, if I look that up, it would mean something, but I'm not going to. Uh, and I really like this. Is going back to page twenty, as we saw earlier. Nightwing's lair is below the Pentagon, and to get where the creeper, or to get to where the creeper is, Moore opens a door and then descends down a spiral staircase. So it's like you have to keep going farther and farther down into the bowels of hell. And it just keeps getting darker and darker as you go down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 the artwork and the aesthetic, uh, you know, and the scripting by Ostrander just all really come together here to make this character just sort of an evil, creepy, villainous type person. Yeah, right. My next note is until twenty four. Okay, I've got one on page twenty three. Basically, this is this is the uh, exposition page and. 
you know exposition it has to go somewhere <laughs> yep copyright jeffrey taylor there you go uh go ahead and on page 24 then oh sorry uh, I, th- I thought Moore's word choice was interesting in the first panel. He he just says, if they do, do I have the authority to, to terminate this president? This president, not the president, which just kind of sends my mind thinking that they've terminated presidents before or at least have attempted to. Hmm. You know, with the, you know, I know someone mentioned uh, that there was something that went on with Nixon and uh, we get later on mention of uh, Kennedy dying prior toward prior to the establishment of Nightwing. So I'm wondering if that might have been the case, that Nightwing may have been uh, privy to some of the assassinations of various presidents in this mm-hmm. universe. Interesting. Um, let's see. Uh, we get here on this page that uh, the reason that Moore might have survived the shooting in Czechoslovakia was due to dark magic and his soul being captured by the Dark Circle or Nightwing, or not Nightwing, Dark Circle or Diophilius and kept in check so that he could kind of manipulate him into doing all this mm-hmm. stuff. So I like I like that setting up of you know why Moore who was a hero with I don't know, different motivations than Schwartz would be the head of this sort of dark, evil, shadowy organization. Right. And, and even without that, though, I think I could buy into the fact that Moore, with his different motivations, would take a darker path. Mm-hmm. Let's see. On page 28, we get that uh, Black Orchid had uh, been in the presidential bedroom before, and it was when she went to seduce Kennedy as Marilyn Monroe. So Kennedy did sleep with Marilyn Monroe in this universe as well, except it was a uh, mystical character. So there you go. Page 29 and 30. This is, this is the, uh, the dense exposition and the history mm-hmm. of, of Nightwing and, and the, the, the Dark Circle. I don't know about reading you, but – or I don't know about you, but reading this – it was like everything clicked into place, and for the first time, I saw just how connected everything is, and, and even why we've seen slightly different depictions of, or, or descriptions of Nightwing. Um, in the Flash issue, they were described as manipulating global politics to serve America's best interests, and we commented then that it didn't quite jibe with what we'd seen in other issues, where it seemed like they were only serving their own interests, but at least during the Kennedy administration, that's how things started out. And then, you know, Moore took him in a direction and more in line with his values, but that was corrupted by the Creeper and the Dark Circle. So there's just a lot of different people running the show, and none of which are good, but, but sometimes pulling the group in different directions depending on who's giving what directive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. This You mentioned at the beginning of our notes that this entire two pages could have been a synopsis on its own, and that's why it was kind of difficult and kind of lengthy with my synopsis because there is so much stuff put into these two pages and Ostrander just job with the synopsis. Well, um, well, thank you. But, uh, but, but uh, I have to give credit to Ostrander for bringing all of this together and setting all of this up and being able to put it down in two pages. I mean, this is just a lot of information and uh, like a lot of these books, I've had to reread these books multiple times 
to make sure that I got all of the, the stuff in here. I can go take, you know, I hate to say it, I can go take a regular comic. I just finished reading the latest issue of The Walking Dead, and I read that in like five minutes, and I was like, oh, okay, that was good. This one I have to reread and uh, read over again to get everything that's going on mm-hmm. here. So I, uh, you get more bang for your buck in these issues. Yes. And I, I just love this whole backstory. I love how it connects to the present day and what we've read. It's it's very very deep and rich and provides for not only an entertaining story in this book but presents many avenues for other stories. Oh yes, um, I don't have any notes until uh, near the end of the book, page thirty six. After that, it's just sort of a you know action sequence with the the team. Yeah, um, page thirty four. I was just going to say that you know Hex mentions here that he can only manage a few spells at a time. And that's a great way to eliminate one criticism that's often leveled at magic characters and that they can just do anything with a spell. But if you've only got a few spells to work with at any one time, it, it adds a layer of, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing that I think is interesting. And I don't know. I know you've mentioned that you don't play uh, like role playing games or no. anything, but in uh, Dungeons and Dragons, at least when I was playing it, one of the things was if you were playing a magic user character, each day you had to uh, cl- you know, claim the number of spells that you were going to memorize for that day. And then at the end of that day, if you didn't use those spells, you lost the memory of them and you had to go and reread and memorize them again. Huh. So you had to you could pick a certain number of spells for whatever level of character you were, and you could only use that during that one a period of time. So I, I, I'm wondering if Ostrander kind of took a little bit from that and put it into this character that, you know, he could have a limited number of spells that he could use. He couldn't just, you know, oh, I'm going to magically open a portal because I can. Yeah. Could you be. Know, Phantom Stranger is way out of it. <laughs> this is also the page I thought you were going to be talking about when uh, Nikki is jumping over the, the thing and her legs are all like... Oh, yes, where she... <laughs> <laughs> where her legs are, are are at exactly parallel to her body. Yes. You know, it's just, yeah. Again. Maybe she's I, just double jointed. Could be. You know, that's, that's uh, quite a split. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, the thing is, Hex is, you know, kind of staring right behind her. So I'm wondering what, he, uh, I don't want to think about that. Moving on. Uh, let's see. Page. <laughs> Page 36 uh, was the next note that I have. Uh, uh, Theophilus uses some of his uh, magic power to set Wildcat on fire. And I think it's a kind of fortunate thing that uh, changing her back to Nikki uh, extinguishes the fire that, you know, her her lycanthrope or her werewolf type form uh, is isn't immune to the fire, but you know when she changes back to her human form, it extinguishes it. I thought that was a nice yeah. way to explain her not getting burned to a crisp. And I'm not sure how that works, really. Comics. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, well, just since it's comics. Yeah, you know, that's the reason. <laughs> um, my last note for the book is over on page 38, and that's to say that one of my only problems with the issue is here at the end where it just kind of stops. It, it feels like there should be more because Walters poses a lot of good questions about what they gained and, and what they do next since Creeper was only part of the Dark Circle. But all Moore says is, trust me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, why is this not gone on to a second book? Because you leave it with this cliffhanger of, you know, he, you know, the Creeper's dead, 
more has now we see absorbed his soul into himself by using the sort of respirator soul jar thing. He's now in possession of his own soul and you know, the Nightwing uh, agency has, you know, even though it's been exposed, uh, things are working more in Moore's direction, no right. pun intended. <laughs> but we're just left with this little thing of trust me, and we don't know where it's going to go from here. So that's it, it, it makes me want to clamor for more stories to 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 basically extend this out and show what's going to be going on with these characters in this book. Mm-hmm. And maybe that was the point. I mean, maybe maybe they intentionally left some cliffhangers in here with hopes that they would be able to do more with them down the road. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. But still, I mean, it, it was a good issue, and I liked that they kept you guessing with, with swerve after swerve throughout the issue in regards to exactly where everyone's allegiances were at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think he did for... It wasn't a complete surprise to know that Gravedigger was going to be the mole in the organization that was going against Nightwing. But you know, I didn't, I didn't mind that it was. It, it wasn't telegraphed, but I didn't think it was, you know, unheard of for him to be uh, that character. But overall, yeah, this Do was you think great. It was telegraphed. You know, you kind of think that uh, both. The, we've seen the Metal Man characters either become good guys or bad guys right and we've seen so many of the metal men characters in fact aside from the president and hawkman uh the guy who played the character of hawkman who's his sort of secretary of uh Mm -hmm. state uh being in the presidential side and the rest of them so far except for the one named lobo who i don't think we've seen uh anywhere show up anywhere in the book aside from the metal men issue uh be organized with uh nightwing so the fact that he was with nightwing i think just kind of led me to believe that he might have been the most obvious choice Hmm. okay but i i enjoyed the book a lot as well i mean yes 90s art but good 90s art and a great story by ostrander i i've and i'm glad that we kind of got back to the whole world building thing it was nice to see that again yeah uh, so you got anything else on this issue? Nope, I'm good. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Well, next time we'll be looking at a book that's very different from this, but still quite fun, as we'll be talking about Secret Six Number 1 by comic talent supreme Chuck Dixon, Tom Grummet, and Larry Stucker. Um, the book brings back several characters, including the Atom and the Flash and the Joker, and also introduces some new faces, so we hope you'll come back. Uh, before then, though, as we said at the, at the top of the show, be sure to keep writing in with your feedback or leave comments at the website because we really do like hearing from folks. We will pick up again with feedback next episode, so if you write in right now, we might read yours. But until then, thanks again, and we will talk to you next time. Bye, everyone. just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Ingle. 
The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, GreatCrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It can also be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review, maybe even a five-star one. All reviews help more people to find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about these books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Well, then you can email us at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your emails on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. Plus, he hosts a blog about the Man of Steel's creators, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, called Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, both of which you can find over at GreekCrypton.com. And Sean hosts a Green Lantern podcast focusing on Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, called Just One of the Guys. He's also a guest host on Walking Dead Wednesdays, a Walking Dead podcast, and Who True Freaks, a Doctor Who podcast. And all these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com. Speaking of Two True Freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the link at twotruefreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. that arrogance, I shall see you dead. Yeah. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick! The 12-gauge double-barreled Remington, S-Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. That's right, this sweet baby was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Retails for about $109.95. It's got a walnut stock, cobalt blue steel, and a hair trigger. That's right, shop smart. Shop at Amazon by clicking the link at twotruefreaks.com. Mart.